All right, well, we're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 3, and this is a very interesting chapter. We're going to spend two weeks in this chapter, and we're going to go right up to, to verse 21 of this chapter. And what's interesting about this chapter is that you've got two bad leaders, a leader named Ishbosheth and a leader named David, and they're both uh, weak leaders in this chapter, and they're not really uh, showing good leadership. And then you've got two bad followers, one by the name of Abner and one by the name of Joab. And they both, all of them kind of highlight different things. Abner is an unloyal follower, uh, while Joab is an unsubmissive follower. And Ishbosheth is a fearful leader, while David is a favoring leader, and that'll all make sense maybe here in a little bit, but tonight we're just going to highlight the two first uh, couple here, the bad leader and the bad follower. We're going to look at Abner and Ishbosheth and where they failed in their respective roles. Next week, we'll go ahead and look at uh, uh, David and Joab. Well, we'll we'll see how far we get. Maybe we'll get a little bit into David and Joab uh, tonight, but before we kind of get into that, let's look at uh, just a little bit of of introduction just so you know what's going on. In verse number one, uh, we're basically told about David. David and his family, and we're told about David and his multiple wives. Notice verse 1. The Bible says, Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. So, of course, we've got a civil war situation here where you've got uh, Ishbosheth and the northern kingdom fighting against uh, David and the southern kingdom. Verse 2. And unto David were, bo- were sons born in Hebron, and his firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. So here you got wife number one, Ahinoam, look at verse three, and his second, Chiliab, of, here's wife number two, Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, of, of uh, the son of wife number three, Maacah, and the daughter of Talmite, king of Geshur, and the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggit, that's wife number four, and the fifth, Shephatiah, uh, the son of Abital, that's wife number five, and the sixth, Ithream, by Eglah, David's wife, that's wife number six. These were born to David in Hebron. Now, I'm not preaching about, you know, polygamy, but it comes up here. And, you know, here's, here's the thing. David had multiple wives. And often today, you know, there are religions that, uh, or, or, you know, there maybe not as much today, although there are in different countries, but you've got like the, the fundamentalist Mormons who still teach and preach that, you know, polygamy is something to be had. Of course, you've got the, the Muslims who believe in polygamy, and you've got, you know, religions and people that will teach polygamy. And, and through centuries, people taught that polygamy and having multiple wives was okay. And here's what they would do. They would look at passages like this one where David had multiple wives, or maybe Abraham had several, uh, a couple of wives, and they, they would look at Bible Bible characters having wives, and then they would say, well, you know, if they did it, it must be right. And even they'll look at a passage like this one and say, well, God doesn't openly rebuke David. God doesn't say, you know, well, this is wrong for him to do. But here's what you need to understand. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel chapter 3. That's obviously the text for tonight. Go to Matthew chapter number 19 and look at verse number 4. Matthew chapter number 19 in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter number 19. Look at verse number 4. And I want you to notice what Jesus said about this idea of having multiple spouses. Matthew 19 and verse 4. The Bible says, And he answered and said unto them, Matthew 19 and verse 4, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? He says he made one male and one female. And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother. I want you to remember that phrase. We're going to talk about that here in a little bit. He says, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, 
and they, I want you to notice the wording, they twain, that's two. He says, they two, they twain shall be one flesh. It doesn't say they three or four or seven. It says two, a male and a female, get married, they leave father and mother, they become one flesh. And he says, wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Here's what I want you to understand. When God instituted marriage, He instituted marriage as a relationship between one man and one woman coming together, becoming one flesh, till death do us part. Now, in the Bible, you have these people like David who had multiple wives, and you say, well, does that make it right? But here's what you need to understand when we are studying the Bible. You must take the clear statements of Scripture before the stories or above the stories. You can't say, well, someone did something in the Bible, so therefore it must be okay to do it. Because the Bible is a historical book, and it, it, it writes, it, it takes an account of things that people did, and it doesn't necessarily mean that what they did was right or wrong. And sometimes God will allow you to do something wrong. And he doesn't just, you know, strike you down dead. But you will reap what you sow. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 3, if, if, and I don't want to get into it too much tonight because we'll, we'll get into it as we continue the book. But I want you to notice, he has all these sons, right? But here's the interesting thing. Look, look at the list of his sons. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 3 and look at uh, verse number 3. Well, I'm sorry, look, look at verse number 2. Now, I want you to notice his firstborn son is a guy by the name of Amnon. Now, Amnon, as we'll, study, we'll see this as we go through the, story, the life of David, Amnon ends up raping his half-sister and then being murdered by his half-brother. Then you've got Absalom, who's mentioned in verse number 3. Absalom murdered his half-brother and then led a civil war against his father and tried to kill David, his father. Then you've got, uh, in verse 4 there, Adonijah who tried to seize the throne from David. We're actually going to look at a few verses about that. He tried to take the throne from David when David was an old man, and he tried to take the throne from David's appointed successor, Solomon. And here's what I want you to understand. He had all these kids, and, and you know he had all these wives, but, but he, he did reap what he sowed, and there was a lot of heartache there as a result of these children. You know? And God's plan is for there to be... So you can't, you can't look at a story in the Bible and say, well, they did that. It doesn't matter if they did that. If God clearly states, if God clearly tells us that something is a sin or that something's supposed to be done a certain way, then don't use the example of someone uh, and a story of someone over the clear uh, statement. So I kind of just wanted to make that clear uh, just by way of introduction. Go, go down uh, to verse number 6. And let's get into this, this outline of the, uh, of, of the bad leader and the bad follower. We're going to begin with Abner, who's the unloyal follower. If you're taking notes tonight, I would encourage you to take notes. Uh, and it's always good to take notes. Maybe just right there in your Bible. You want to write this down. Abner was the unloyal follower. Look at verse number 6. And it came to pass, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David... That Abner, notice what the Bible says, that Abner made himself strong. You see that? The Bible says that Abner made himself strong for the, for the house of Saul. Now you say, well, what's wrong with that statement? Here's what's wrong with that statement. Abner was not the king. Abner was working for the king. Abner was the general. Abner was the captain of the host. Here's what Abner should have been doing is he should have been making uh, uh, his king 
Ishbosheth, he should have been making him strong. But Abner was his unloyal follower. He was not loyal to Ishbosheth. And he's going around and basically uh, what he does is he's getting people to follow him. He's getting people to kind of see him as a leader. And he's basically just propping up, up Saul's son just because politically Abner is not able to be king. I mean, Ishbosheth is the son of Saul, so he's kind of propping him up, this weak leader. And but really, it's all about Abner, and really, it's all about people following Abner. In fact, we will see later on the passage that he he has influence. He goes around and he gets people to basically uh, betray Ishbosheth. But here's what I want you to understand: Abner was not for Ishbosheth, and I don't think Abner was for David. Abner was for one person himself, and he was an un loyal uh, follower, and he was making himself strong. Now, keep your finger there in 2 Samuel 3, and go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. Let me give you another example of this. One of David's bad sons, Absalom, does something similar. The Bible, I like the wording that is used about Absalom in 2 Samuel chapter 15. Look at verse number 6, 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 6. The Bible says, And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. Absalom would meet people as they were coming to talk to David. He would kind of just cut them off. And before they could get to the king, he said, oh, don't bother the king. Here, let me talk to you. Here, let me deal with you. Here, let me counsel you. And notice what the Bible says, the last phrase in verse number 6, 2 Samuel 15, 6. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And here's what you got to understand. Whenever you are in a leadership position, you need to be careful for these unloyal followers who are promoting themselves and not the leader and who are uh, strengthening themselves and not the leader and who are trying to steal the hearts of the people. Keep your finger there. Go, go to the book of Acts. Let me show it to you in a New Testament uh, format. Acts chapter number 20. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel. We're going to come right back to it. Acts chapter number 20. Look at verse number 29. And this happens in church. This happens in marriages. This happens with children. Whenever you are a leader, you will always find that there are followers who are not loyal to the leader, not promoting the leader, not helping the leader, and they're really just trying to have their own following. They're trying to have their own. They're trying to steal the heart of the people. Are you there in Acts chapter 20? Look at verse number 29. Notice what the Bible says. In Acts, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 20. Look at verse number 29. The Bible says this, for I know this. That after my departing, this is Paul speaking to uh, the churches uh, there, and he's saying, after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Look at verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away, notice, to draw away disciples after them. There are always, there's always going to be, and here's what false prophets do. They don't necessarily walk in and just say, you know, the pastor's wrong about, and just start publicly announcing, but here's what they do. They meet with people secretly. They meet with people in corners. They do like Absalom does and just say, oh, you, you got to talk to the leader. No, 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 no. Let me talk to you, you know. And they steal the hearts of the people. And here you've got Abner, who's not loyal, who's not a good follower, and he's strengthening himself. He's promoting himself. Look, this happens in the church world. People come in. People come in to churches like ours, and they try to cause problems. And sometimes, you know... Uh, Pastors like me will be accused of, oh, you guys are tyrannical and you want to have all the control. You know, and here's the thing, and I preached about it on Sunday night, so I'm not going to go into it. But a pastor is to watch over the flock. He is to be the authority. And this is why I'm always telling people, like, hey, you know, you ought to have some respect for the pastor and keep him in the loop. You know, let me, let me just go ahead. You know, you, you ought to let the pastor know when things are going on. 
You ought to, you know, there, it's, not, it's not wrong. It's not, oh, well, you know, well, who, who does he think he is? Hey, it's my job to be watching over the flock, to be watching. You know, you know that something big's happening in someone's life. It'd be good to let the pastor know. Give him a head to, I'm always surprised, you know, because you know, I get called once things blow up. You know, once everything's just distorted and they, they have no choice but to call me, then I get involved. And it's always amazing to me how, like, it's like, well, so-and-so knew and so-and-so knew and this person knew. It's like the whole church knew except the pastor, you know. And here's the thing. You need to keep the pastor involved. You need to keep him in the loop. You need to let him know, hey, it's good for me. It's good for me to know when people are doing business in church. You say, well, why do we? Because here's the thing. People fight about money all the time. And, and, here, and let me go ahead and tell you this. I don't really encourage people doing business in church because oftentimes people get upset with each other. And if you're going to do business, that's fine. Do business, but keep the attitude of esteeming other better than yourself. And whenever I hire anyone in church, I always have this idea that if they completely mess it up, if they completely, you know, rip me off, that's okay. You know, I'm just going to love them and I'm going to pray for them. But here you've got this leader who's not loyal, this, lead, this follower who's making himself strong. And by the way, this happens in marriage. Often, you know, you will hear of a wife committing adultery or a husband committing adultery, and it usually doesn't start as a physical thing. It usually starts with someone stealing. Listen, listen men, listen to me very carefully. There are men out there that want to steal the heart of your wife. That's why I don't think it's good for men uh, to be having close friendships with women that they're not married to. That's why I don't think it's good for women to be having close friendships with men that they're not married to. You know, you ladies, you, you need a friend. You, you know, you can be friends with my wife, but I don't want to be your friend. I don't need to be talking to you on the phone. I don't need to be spending time with you, you know, and, and, and vice versa. Women, you want to be careful with those things. Why? Because there's the possibility of someone stealing their heart. Uh, uh, you know, someone may steal the heart of your spouse. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. You say, well, I can't believe. These things happen. These, these type of things happen in church world, in the Christian world. In the, you know, be careful about those things. There are people out there who are not loyal to you, and they want to, uh, you know, steal the heart of your wife, steal the heart of your And by the way, that's why I always encourage couples, you know, you ought to be, you say, oh, we've been married for 12 years. You ought to be uh, treating your wife, men, like you were treating her when she, before you were married. You were, you, you were pursuing her. You were interested in her. You ought to keep that, you know, a fire alive because if you don't do it, someone else may. You say, well, well, they should be loyal. I understand that. I'm just saying there are people out there. There are, there are Abners out there who are not interested in you as a leader of your home, and they want to strengthen themselves. And, you know, maybe it's not physical adultery, but today you've got this idea of emotional adultery. Where basically women are just, you know, more loyal to someone else than they are their husband. Or husbands are more loyal than they are uh, to their wives. And here's the thing. It doesn't even have to be adultery. There are some men who are more loyal to their jobs and careers than they are their family. I mean, they might not ever say it out loud. But if you have to make a priority list of what comes more important, it's like my job, then, you know, fishing, then my wife. My job, golfing, then my kids. Hey, that, that is something that's trying to undermine your, your authority. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's other friends. You know, your buddies. Well, I, you know, I got to go hang out with my buddies. We hang out every weekend. We play basketball every weekend. We play poker every... I hope you're not playing poker every weekend, you know? Or, you know, whatever it is. Or these ladies, you know, these girls' night outs. I, I am against these girls' night outs. 
These, you know, unless, unless it's like a ladies' tea. But this idea where, like, a bunch of girls are going to get dressed up. They're all, like, you know, in their 40s. They're all married. They're all, you know, the youth has faded. Sorry if you're in your 40s. And then, but they're going to go, you know, they're going to go out. They're going to put on their high heels and go, what is, what is that? You know, if my wife's going to put on high heels and, and go out, she's going to do that with me. And this idea of just, you know, you want to be careful because there are people, hey, hobbies. How about in-laws? We just read it there in Matthew. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother. There are marriages where the husband is more loyal to mom than he is his wife. And it's all, he's always complaining at his wife. Well, that's not how my mom did it. Well, that's not how my mom cooked it. Well, that's not how my mom folded it. Well, here's the problem, buddy. You didn't marry mom. You married her. Be loyal to her. You've got marriages where wife or more, wives are more loyal to their, their dad. Constantly comparing their husband. Well, that's not how my father did it. And if we get mad at each other, we're going to call our parents. No, no, no. You leave father and mother. You cleave. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. One of the greatest things that my parents did for my marriage is right before I got married, they sat me down. I think my wife was there. I remember just sitting there, and my dad telling me, once you're married, you don't call me. You don't complain about your wife to me. You don't tell me about things that are going wrong. I don't care. We're cutting the umbilical cord. You're done. And they, and they said, you better make sure you're marrying the right girl. And here's the thing. They weren't really saying that to me. They were saying it to her. Like, you better make sure you're marrying the right guy. You know, because once, and I remember my dad was telling my wife, like, don't go back to mom. Don't go back to dad. Don't go back to wherever. You're making a commitment to yourself. In marriage, there are people or things that will try to steal the heart of your spouse. Maybe a job. Maybe a friend. Maybe in-laws. Maybe adultery. But you got to be careful with these things. There are Abners who are not necessarily promoting you, sir, to your wife or promoting you, ma'am, to your husband. There are unloyal followers out there who are interested like Absalom in stealing the hearts. How about your children? Hey, you know that there are people who want to steal the hearts of your children, parents? That's why you need to be extremely careful about these teachers, coaches. You know, I don't, I don't put, my, my kids don't, they're not going into Little League, they're not going to Pee Wee, anything, they're not going, because here's the thing, I don't want to put my kids in a position where now there is a leader in their life that's not me. Half of these teachers and coaches and youth pastors, one of the reasons we don't have youth ministries at Verity Baptist Church, number one, show me a youth ministry in the Bible, you can't find it. But number two, one of the reasons we don't have youth pastors, because a lot of these youth pastors end up just being competition for mom and dad. And then you've got mom and dad having to fight it. Well, the teacher said, well, the coach said, well, the, no, 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 it's what mom and dad said. And mom and dad, you ought to be careful and you ought to be, you know, just thinking about this idea, especially when your children are young, to keep their hearts and to not allow someone like an Absalom or an Abner to steal the hearts of your children. You've got these unloyal followers and you see them come along and say, well, they're, they're, you know, Abner, he's not a bad guy, but he's not for Ishbosheth. And he's not really for David. And he's not really for anyone but himself. So you want to be careful with these followers who are not really loyal. They're looking for disciples to make for themselves. Go, go, go to verse number 7. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 3. Look at verse 7. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah. So Saul is dead, and this is his former concubine while he was alive. Now, What's a concubine? Now, there's a lot of different definitions for concubines. A lot of people believe a lot of different things. As far as I can tell in the Bible, some people will teach that a concubine is like a live-in boyfriend or live-in girlfriend, someone they're fornicating with. I don't think the Bible necessarily teaches that because there are some passages that makes it real clear that someone has a concubine and they're married to that concubine. 
and they're using terms like they have in-laws and things like that. Uh, as far as I can tell in Scripture, a concubine is someone that you married. That's, to me, it seems like it's a slave. You know, like you purchase a slave and then you marry that slave. That's why, you know, uh, Abraham had his wife, Sarah, but then he had a concubine who he purchased, but he did marry her, but she was a slave. So that's, that's what it seems like to me as I look at the Bible. But here in verse 7, we read about Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Ai. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, where has thou, uh, wherefore hast thou gone in unto my father's concubine? So Abner's basically uh, having a physical relationship with Saul's concubine, and, uh, and Ishbosheth calls him on that. Now you say, well, what's the big deal? Because uh, Abner blows up. Look at verse 8. Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth and said, what am I, a dog's head? And he goes on and on. We're going to talk, talk about that in a minute. You say, well, what, what's the big deal? The Bible doesn't really, I mean, as far as I can tell, and I, I, didn't, I, I, I looked it up a little bit, tried to do some study on it. Uh, there may be some scriptures that shed a little, a little bit of light on it. But as far as I can tell, it seems like the Bible seems to indicate that if you marry the concubine of the prior king, it seems to be like almost a political move to try to almost take the authority Marry, marry into the king's family. And there's another example of this in the Bible. Let me show it to you just real quickly. You're there in 2 Samuel. Go to 1 Kings chapter number 2. You're in 2 Samuel, so just one book over. 1 Kings chapter number 2. And look at verse number uh, 15. 1 Kings chapter number 2 and verse number 15. And notice what the Bible says in 1 Kings. You got 2 Samuel, you got 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter number 2. And look at verse number 15. The Bible says this. And he... Now, this is Adonijah. Remember Adonijah? And we'll, we'll get into this when we go through 1 Kings. But Adonijah is David's son. David's an old man. Adonijah's trying to become king, basically take the kingdom from David. The king is supposed to be Solomon, but Adonijah's trying to like basically become king before Solomon does, before David dies, but he's an old man. Look at verse 15. And, 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 and David finds out about this, sets the whole thing straight, makes Adonijah not be king, puts Solomon as king. And that's a very interesting story. But here's what happens after that. Verse 15. And he, Adonijah, said, Thou knowest that the kingdom was mine. So he's saying, you know, I was going to be king till it was taken from me. And that all Israel set their faces on me that I should reign. Howbeit the kingdom is turned about and has become my brothers. He's talking about Solomon. For it was his from the Lord. And now I ask one petition of thee. Deny me not. Because Adonijah is going to Solomon's mother who's Bathsheba, and he basically is going to her and he says, hey, you know, I have a petition. Will you do me a favor? Deny me not. Notice what he says. And she said unto him, say on. And he said, speak, I pray thee, unto Solomon the king, for he will not say thee nay, and that he give me, notice, Abishag the Shunammite to wife. Now, who was Abishag? Abishag was David's concubine. Notice verse 18. And Bathsheba said, Well, I will speak for thee unto the king. And Bathsheba therefore went unto the king to speak unto him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed himself unto her and sat down on his throne and caused a seat to be set uh, for the king's mother. And she sat on the right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee. I pray thee, say uh, me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on my mother, for I will not say thee nay. So basically she comes to, to the king. He shows her respect. He stands up, puts a seat for her. She says, hey, I got a question. Uh, I have something I want to ask. He says, go ahead and ask. Notice verse 21. And she said, let Abishag the Shudamite be given to Adonijah thy brother to wife. Now notice how Solomon responds, verse 22. 
And King Solomon answered and said unto his mother, And why dost thou ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. For he is mine elder brother, even for him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zerah. He's naming the men that were helping Adonijah basically steal the kingdom from David. And he's saying, why are you asking for, for, for her to wife? Why don't you just go in and write out, ask for the kingdom? Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, Go do so to me, God do so to me. And more also, if Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life, now therefore as the Lord liveth, which hath established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who hath made me an house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. So basically Solomon puts uh, Adonijah to death because he asked to marry, you know, the concubine of David, uh, his wife. So the Bible seems to indicate that this is some sort of a political power move, and that's what Abner's doing. He's strengthening himself, so then he's going in onto Saul's concubine. And I want you to notice what, what, how Abner responds to this, because here's what you notice. The unloyal follower promotes themselves, not the leader. They strengthen themselves, not the leader. But here's what the unloyal follower also does. The unloyal follower cannot take correction. Whenever I preach something, and look, I'm, I'm a man, all right? It's not like I'm God. I have to preach the whole counsel of God. I have to preach whatever God tells me to preach. But obviously, I realize that sometimes I'm preaching on things, and I'm kind of pressing a, a finger on certain buttons for certain people. And I mean, I don't do that on purpose. It's just part of the game. It's just the way it is. I can't, I can't not preach it. If I don't preach it, then I will become a leader like, like uh, Ishbosheth, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But here's what I've noticed. Whenever I like press on a button, I know I'm pressing on someone's button, and they just get mad. They just get upset. All of a sudden, their arms, you know, and it's just like they're mad. They're upset. Here come the emails. Here's what that tells me. That person wasn't loyal to begin with. That person wasn't, wasn't loyal to me or to us to begin with because unloyal followers cannot take correction. They just get mad and leave and get upset and throw a fit and get emotional. Look at verse 8. Notice how Abner responds. Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth comes to Abner and says, What are you doing? Why are you sleeping with my father's wife? I know you're trying to strengthen yourself. I know that you're not really loyal to me. I know that you're trying to gather your own uh, following. And he calls him out on it. And Joab and Abner just throws a fit. Notice verse 8. Then was Abner very wroth for the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head? Now, in our American culture, that doesn't make a lot of sense because we like, you know, praise dogs in our culture and dogs are man's best friend. But in, in the Bible culture, a dog was just like the least thing. I mean, if you want to assault someone, call them a dog. And you notice the Bible always refers to dogs in a negative fashion. Uh, that was just their culture. And he's saying, am I a dog's head? Which against Judah do show kindness this day unto the house of Saul thy father, to his brethren and to his friends, and have not delivered thee into the hand of David, that thou chargest me today with a fault concerning this woman? And I like dogs. I mean, you know, all dogs are to heaven, all right? There. So you guys won't be upset. But he, he says, look, you know, and he gets upset, but notice what he does. Verse 9. So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him. Here's what he's saying. The Lord swore to David to give him the kingdom of Saul, and he said, now I'm going to help 
David get the kingdom of Saul. Notice verse 10, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. So basically, here's what he does. You know, Abner gets corrected, and then here's what he said. He said, you know what? I quit your church, and I'm going to go to the church down the street. You know what, Ishbosheth? I'm going to go to David's church. He's a better preacher anyway. And here's the thing. Whenever people get mad and leave and they get upset, I just think to myself, like, good riddance, bad rubbish. You know, because here's the thing. If you can't take correction, you're not going to make it at Verity Baptist Church. Because I don't get up here and just preach theory. Our sermons at Verity Baptist Church are application-driven, meaning we look at how the Bible applies to your life, and we apply it in as many areas as possible. And here's the thing. You know, sometimes people think like, oh, man, you, that visitor came for the wrong sermon, and they got upset. But here's the thing. It's better that the visitor comes for that hard sermon, and if they stay, then I'm like, hey, they're probably going to stick around. Because if they're just constantly offended, constantly upset, constantly whatever, I don't run after those people. I don't call those people. I just say, you know what? They, they probably need to go to David's church. You know, they probably need to go to church down the street. They probably need to go to the other camp. Because Abner was not loyal in his uh, leadership. And I realized that he was in the wrong side. He was on Ishbosheth's side, but he was not a loyal follower. As soon as he's corrected, he gets upset. And you know what? You ought to be the type of follower that can be corrected. And obviously, we ought to be tactful in how we correct people, and we ought to be tactful in how we preach the Word of God. But look, you should not be this person who just like, I want to go to church and never have the pastor say anything negative about me and my life. I mean, I never want, you know, my toe stepped on. It's like, what kind of church do you want to go to? You know, you want to go to Joel Osteen's church where he just never steps on anyone's toes, where he just never says anything negative. This reminds me of a, of a story I heard uh, uh, of Jack Hiles. There's a story of Jack Hiles where he was, uh, he was preaching, and there at, at his church there in First Baptist Church, they had these real strict rules, and I don't agree with all the rules they had, but they had this rule that once the service started, you were not allowed to come into the auditorium. You know, half of our church would not make it in Jack House Church because it was like if you got up in the middle of the service and, got, and went out of the room, they were not, they, you'd, you'd not come back, you know. And he had these, and I don't agree with that. Obviously, we're family integrated. But he had these real strict rules. And there was this usher who had his friend coming to First Baptist to visit, and they came late. And the usher is, like, trying to, like, sneak them in after the service because it was, like, against the rules or whatever. And he's trying to sneak them in, and Jack Howell saw it while he was preaching. And Jack Howell just ripped this guy. He's just like, you usher, what are you doing? You know what the rules are. And he's telling him, you know, get those people out of here. You know what the rules are. And just completely humiliated the guy. And the story goes that after the service, someone walks up to that usher and says, like, man, I can't believe that he just completely rebuked you in front of everybody. Like, you're probably not coming back here, right? And the guy was like, no, you know. Of course, he's like, well, aren't you mad at Jack House for just, you know, rebuking you, correcting you like that? And here's what he said. He said, you know what? That guy got me saved. And that guy got my wife saved. And we were getting ready to get a divorce before we started coming to this church. And because of this church and because of his preaching, you know, we have a great marriage and my children are being raised great. And if he wants to yell at me in front of 5,000 people, then he can yell as much as he wants. And here's what he was saying. He was just saying, you know what? I'm a loyal follower. That's my preacher. That's my pastor. If he wants to correct me, then great. And, and, and here's the thing, that's the kind of leaders, that's the kind of people we need. You know, at Verity Baptist Church, sometimes people need to get corrected. And sometimes they're just not doing the right thing, and they're, doing, they're making wrong decisions, and they need someone to be able to come up to them and say, that was wrong, let's not do that again. And here's the thing, if you just kind of flare up and go, well, I don't, then you don't belong here anyway. Because you're an Abner anyway, and you're just kind of pushing your own agenda anyway. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 3, look at verse number 11. So we saw, number one, Abner, the unloyal follower, and number two, let's look at Ishbosheth, the fearful leader. 
Because remember, we have two sets of bad, we have bad followers, bad leaders. We'll look at the second set next week. But look at verse number 11, 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 11. And he, that's Ishbosheth, oh, because he just corrected. He did something courageous. He went to Abner and he said, Abner, what are you doing? Abner, you're wrong. Abner, you're overstepping your limits. Abner, you should have ran that by me. Abner, you're not the leader. And he corrects him, but then Abner flares up and gets all mad and says, well, I'm going to go to church down the street. Notice verse 11. And he, Ishbosheth, could not answer Abner a word again. Why? Notice, because he feared him. Here you got Ishbosheth, the fearful leader. He's afraid of his followers. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make thy league with me, and behold, my hand shall be with thee, and bring about all Israel unto thee. And basically, Abner makes a league with David, the enemy of Ishbosheth. But here's why Ishbosheth failed because he feared the person that was supposed to be following him. Go to Jeremiah, real quickly. We're almost done. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter number 1. Look at verse number 5. You find that big book of Isaiah. The next book is Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Look, today you have fearful leaders. Today you got pastors that are afraid of their people. You've got husbands that are afraid of their wives. You got parents that are afraid of their children. You got leaders, so called leaders, that are fearful. Abner was an unloyal follower, yes, but you know, Ishbosheth was not a great leader because he was a fearful leader. He was afraid. He feared Abner. Are you there in Jeremiah chapter 1? Look at verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. This was God speaking to Jeremiah. He says, Before I formed thee in the valley, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. That's a, pro- that's a powerful verse, by the way. Here you got God telling us that while Jeremiah was in the womb, he'd already ordained him a prophet and a preacher. I mean, the, there's value in a life in the womb. God has a plan for, for, that, for Jeremiah, even from the belly. Notice verse 6, six. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, uh, thou shalt speak. So Jeremiah is basically saying, I'm too young to be a prophet. And, and God says, No, 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 you're not too young. You go and you preach what I tell you. Now notice what God says to Jeremiah, Luke verse 8. He says, Be not afraid of their faces. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. You say, why did, why did Jeremiah say that? Because people give you bad faces when you're preaching against their sin. Because when you press on their little button, their little thing, well, you're just never allowed to talk about that one thing, because that's what I do. And then it's like, as soon as you preach about it, it's just like, the countenance falls. And you're just like, they're gone, I lost it, you know, it, it's over. But God tells Jeremiah, hey, be not afraid of their faces. He said, you preach the Bible, and you preach the truth, and you preach the Word of God. And obviously, we ought to do it in the right spirit. And obviously, we ought, to, we ought to, you know, develop the Scripture and teach Scripture. But he says, you just preach what you're supposed to preach. And he says, don't be afraid. He said, don't be the pastor that's afraid of his people. You know what the problem in America today is? You've got a whole lot of preachers that are afraid of their people. And they're afraid to get up and say anything and, and take a stand and say, no, 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 Calvinism is wrong. Catholicism is wrong. Speaking in tongues is not scriptural. What they're doing is not what they did. You know, they're afraid to make those statements. Here's why. Because they're afraid that someone's going to get up and leave. Somebody's going to get up and be, afraid, be, be upset. They're afraid that Abner is going to go to the, the kingdom down the street, to the church down the street. But you know what? As a pastor and as a leader, I have to just tell myself that I need to preach the Bible, and if people don't like it and leave, that's fine. 
You know, because here's the thing. You can't build a church where the, the pastor needs to have liberty to preach the word of God and not just be afraid like, well, is Mr. Moneybutt, you know, going to leave? Or is that guy going to leave? Or is that lady going to leave? Or is that me? Are they going to get upset? No, no, no. We just have to preach. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't like it, you know what? We preach the truth anyway. And sometimes, and here's what I've noticed. Sometimes people get mad and leave, and then they'll come back right with God. And I'd rather have them leave and come back right with God than just stay and be backslidden. And you got pastors that are afraid of people. You've got husbands that are afraid of their wives. We have this, this culture today has brainwashed us that male leadership is just an evil. You know, if you believe that, that men are, are the head of the home and women ought to submit to their husbands in like the way the Bible says, then you're just some male chauvinist pig. We've got, you know, this, the, the, that's the culture today. And you've got a bunch of guys that are afraid of their wives. They're afraid, you know, they're like, I'm not going to tell my wife how to dress. I'm not going to tell, you know, I don't think my wife should dress that way. Or I don't think my wife should have that, you know. I don't really like it that my wife's best friend is some guy that she goes and has dinner with every week. But I'm too scared to tell her that. It's like, that's ridiculous. You know what, guys? Why don't you just grow up, grow some hair on your legs, and lead? Why don't you just ask your wife? Every once in a while, just ask your wife for permission to say amen in church. You know, why don't you just preach? Why don't you just, you know, when the preaching's going on, just say, hey, I agree with that. I'm going to lead. And quit being afraid of your wife. You've got parents that are afraid of their children. I mean, I, I don't, it, you know, I get, I get the wife thing, but I don't get for the world why a, 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 a father and a mother are afraid of telling their teenage son or their teenage daughter how to dress. Like, well, you know, I mean, I can't tell them how to dress. Are you crazy? They're your kids. They live in your house. You feed them. I mean, you're the boss, but you got parents. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with parents that are afraid of their children. They've been losing battles to their children from when their children were young. See, if you can't win the battle against your 5-year-old, you're not going to win the battle against your 15-year-old. If you can't make your 4-year-old obey you, you're not going to make your 14-year-old obey you. And look, we just need to get back to leadership. And whatever leadership role you're in, mom, if you're the leader, you make those children obey. You make them listen. You make them say, yes, sir, and uh, yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am. And you say, well, if I did that, you know, I'd have to spank them all day long. Then fight that battle and win that battle. And win it while they're young, while there is yet time, before you lose them at 17. Try to make sure you keep their heart at 7. And you've got Ishbosheth, who's a terrible leader because he's afraid. Because he's afraid, well, if I preach that, then people aren't going to come back. If I preach that, then they're going to be upset. If I preach that, you know what I've learned about fundamental, being a fundamental Baptist preacher? Is eventually you just learn to live in this state of like, there's constantly someone mad at me. I mean, there's constantly some woman at our church mad at me about something. And, like, as soon as, like, I can, you know, like, my wife, you know, does something to kind of make the situation better, and I maybe say something nice to them, and they kind of become my friend, then there's some other woman mad at me for something else I said. And there's some guy mad at me because I offended his wife, and now he's getting, you know, talked to at home or something. And, like, you know, so here's the thing. Just learn to live. As a leader, just learn to live with people, you know, mad at you. Your kids from time to time are going to be mad at you. And learn to say this. No. The average parent just doesn't know how to say no. The hardest thing I do as a pastor is tell people no. Pastor, can we? No. Pastor, can I do? No. Pastor, this person? No, no, no. Yeah, I know you didn't ask. You already did it. But the answer is no. And that's, you know, because it's it, it hard for leaders. It's just to say, sometimes I'm just like, no. Even though I don't really care, it's just like, no, just to teach you that you're not in charge, you know. 
Because you got people constantly, you got these Abners trying to take the strength of the leader. Go to verse 13. 2 Samuel chapter 3, look at verse 13. And he said, well, I will make a league with thee. This is David speaking to Abner. But one thing I require of thee, that is, thou shalt not see my face, except thou first bring Michal, Saul's daughter. Remember Michal, David's first wife? This is his real wife. This is the one he married first. When thou comest to see my face. Remember, Saul gave her away to another man. And now David's saying to Abner, he's saying, you can come on my side, but you're going to bring Michal, my wife. Look at verse 14. And David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Deliver me my wife to my, my wife, Michal, which I espoused to me for an hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband, because she was married, remarried, even from Faltiel, the son of Laish. And her husband went with her along weeping behind her to Bahurim. Then said Abner unto him, because Abner is this big tough guy, he says, Go return. And he returned. You know, so not much of a fight there from the husband. Now, you say, well, why did David, you know, the Bible doesn't really tell us uh, why David asked for Michael. I mean, good night. He already has like six other wives. You know, do you need another one? But, you know, the reasons that I just sat down and thought, you know, why would David want uh, Michael back? Maybe David wanted Michael uh, just because it was his rightful wife, because it was his wife. And remember, they did love each other when they got married. And she was the first wife, so that's the rightful position. Maybe David wanted, uh, wanted Michael back to treat Saul's family well, because that was Saul's daughter. Maybe he wanted to treat her well to kind of show that there's no bitterness towards Saul. Maybe David wanted to uh, give himself a greater claim to Saul's uh, throne by establishing and reestablishing the marriage between him and Saul. You know, basically he's Saul's son-in-law, so kind of reestablishing that. Maybe that was the reason we don't know exactly for sure. Look at verse 17. Well, we're going to finish up here. We're going to go down to verse 21. I'll give you some last statements and we'll be done. We'll, we'll deal with the rest of the chapter next week. And Abner had communication with the elders of Israel. Notice the influence that Abner has. He had communication with the elders of Israel saying, You sought for David in time past to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all their enemies. And here's what's interesting. He says, the Lord has spoken of David. In verse 9, if you just go, to, go back to verse 9 real quick, he says, uh, so do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord has sworn to David, even so I do to him. Here's what's interesting about Abner. He knew that God, he knew that God had said that David was supposed to be the next king, and yet he was still fighting on the other side. So that just kind of shows you the type of guy that Abner is. Look at verse 19. And Abner also spake in the ears of Benjamin. He's going and talking to the Benjamites which this is Saul's tribe. These are people that are most loyal to Saul. And Abner went also to speak in the ears of David in Hebron. All that seemed good to Israel, and that seemed good to the whole house of Benjamin. So Abner came to David to Hebron, and 20 men with him. And David made Abner and the men that were with him a feast. And Abner said unto David, I will arise and go, and I will gather all Israel unto my lord the king, that they may make a league with thee, and that thou mayest reign over all that thine heart desireth. And David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. So what can we learn from this? Just let me give you some, some real quick applications and just these last several verses, and, and we'll finish up. Number one, David, like Christ, did not force his reign. David, everyone knows, David's supposed to be a king. David's supposed to be a king. David's supposed to be a king. But notice David doesn't force that. 
In fact, Abner does help him reestablish that kingdom by going to the Benjamites, by going to Israel, kind of saying, hey, you know, you asked before that, that you know, ye sought for David in times past to be king over you, and he's convincing them to do it. Let me just real quickly go, go to Revelation chapter 3, just real quickly. Let me show you a verse. Revelation chapter 3, last uh, book in the Bible, should be fairly easy to find. Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 20. Notice what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And this is not a salvation verse. People often will use this as a salvation verse. But he's talking to a church here. And he says, uh, a group of believers. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now that's a crazy thought to think that Jesus would be standing outside of a church and saying, Hey, you're having church, but you locked me out. You know, and Jesus, the sad thing is Jesus can say that about a lot of churches today. And he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Here's what, he, here's what the Bible teaches about Jesus. He does not force his relationship on us. He doesn't force his reign on us. David was the rightful king. Everyone knew it, but he did not force it. David, like Christ, does not force his reign. Here's the second thing we can learn from this short passage here. We, like Israel, often only allow him to reign over a partial kingdom. They all knew. I mean, he's saying, God said that David's supposed to be king. He's going to the people saying, you know that God said David is supposed to be king. They all knew that Samuel had anointed David king. But here's the thing. They only allowed him to be the king of Judah, a partial kingdom. And you know what? And you say, well, that's wrong. But you and I do that. We know that Jesus is supposed to be the king of our lives. He's supposed to be the Lord in our lives. He's supposed to be in charge of our lives. But we'll say, oh, no, 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 God, Jesus, I'm just going to let you control this small part of my life. But Judah in my life, I'll let you control that. We see David, like Christ, does not force his reign. And we see us, like Israel, allowing him to reign over a partial kingdom. And then, of course, we see Abner speaking up for David. Now, he does it for the wrong reasons, but he does a good thing. Notice verse 17. And Abner had communication. Do you see that? Notice verse 19. And Abner spake in the ears of Benjamin. He's going around. What's he doing? He's preaching the kingdom of David. He's, he's going around telling people, hey, you ought to accept David as your king. You ought to make David in charge. You ought to put David. And he's communicating to people to accept David, to accept David. And that's what you and I ought to be doing. Now, he's doing it for the wrong reasons. You and I ought to do it for the right reasons. We ought to go around telling people, hey, you know what? You need King Jesus. You should accept him. And uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads and have a word of prayer.